Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of An Author's Kiss, right here at selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my wonderful guest today is Charlie Sheldon. We're going to be talking about storytelling. We're going to be talking about wonderful things that he writes. He has a Strong Heart series, and this is exploring ancient legends and the origins of modern humans about 70,000 years ago. He also explores the struggles between development and preservation, and the dangers of the zealotry, sorry, couldn't get my word, the tongue around that, coming of age and what makes a family a home. Along the way, there is much he can share about hiking, backpacking, Pacific Northwest and Olympic National Park, seafaring and survival. He's also a water dancer and has many stories to tell about that as well. I do recommend you go to his site and look at all his beautiful stories. But we're going to be talking about that today, about storytelling of the past, because when we understand understand what has been, we understand what is now and what we need to do in the future. So welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks. It's, it's fun to be here. Thanks very much. Now, I was reading one that you have up on your site and, uh, you know, kind of talking about the homesteads of the past where, you know, people didn't, you know, go very far and that they lived very much within, within their realms amongst all the animals and the kind of we had to be very in tuned with each other for survival. And we've kind of gone away from that type of thing nowadays, haven't we? We've become very I, me, myself, and not really community. I think that's right. I mean, we've, we've built this incredibly complicated technological community and civilization that's really, I mean, I don't think people could have imagined this a couple of hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everything we evolved to deal with is, is being stressed now by all these new things that, that uh, um, are different. Uh-huh. So I agree with you. I think, I mean, one of my arguments in the books I write, and I didn't start out this way, it came to all the research I did, was the notion that uh, people in the old days, pre-farming, you know, uh-huh. when we were hunter-gatherers, and that was for many tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Um, during most of that time, if not all of that time, and you never hear about this, we were not the apex predator. I mean, human beings were not, they didn't rule the earth then. Mm. There were all these very large, very nasty animals that fed on humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and plus the climate kept changing tremendously because of these ice ages back and forth. And there were floods and volcanoes and all that sort of thing. And so I think that people back then, humans back then, really lived in hideaway places because they had to to survive, which means they were more than likely living on little islands right off the coast, like off British Columbia or off Vietnam or China or wherever it would be. And they're feeding on the sea because seafood is pretty easy to find. And I think that many groups and tribes and bands of people were completely wiped out many mm-hmm. times by yeah. 
weather or by animals or by the ice from the ice ages. So I think if you grow up in that kind of environment, you tend to be very conscious that you're not the most powerful entity on the earth. You're very humble. You're, but of course, we're still all human, you know, we're greedy and envious oh, and right. adulterous. Or, no, we're bad. That's in the nature. Right? Very, but, but so, uh, and I think that quality, by necessity, I think people had to be humble. Okay. And I think that's what's been lost today because we're so powerful. We are, we're so adept at manipulating and screwing up and improving the world that we think we don't think twice about this. And we've no. lost, I think we've, and if you look at the discourse today, and this, this is not a political discussion, but mm-hmm. if you look at the discourse today, it's everybody shouting at each other and they're certain of their belief. And where's the humility? Where's the sense that maybe I don't know all the answers that maybe others might have the answers. Why don't we listen? So this all came as an output of, of the 10 years I spent writing this series. It wasn't my intention. It just emerged. And weirdly enough, as I look at TV today or YouTube today or, or shows today, you don't see many shows where people are revering the elders or talking about humility. And, and I think we're maybe losing some fundamental truths for moving forward. But then again, what do I know? I just... <laughs> I'm just telling stories. No, I 100% agree with you. I think there's an awful lot of arrogance and ignorance out there. And it's a dangerous, yeah. it's a dangerous combination. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for people who are very arrogant in what they feel they know, they're very ignorant because they're not willing to know anything else. And, right. you know, that ego gets in the way. And this is where that anger, you know, the tornado of kind of hate rhetoric comes from. I and so. I think if we, you know, we, we say to people, don't get stuck in your past, your personal past, because you're always meant to be in flow and moving forward. But if we do not look to the past and learn from it, we're going to repeat it. But there are some things that do need to be repeated because they were, they were really deeply rooted in the soil and they really worked. And that, you know, humility is one. Community, being there for each other, a sense of togetherness, because that's how they survived. I'm always referring to the village mentality. Everybody in that village had a role to play, including the village idiot. Everybody had a role to play. And if they didn't play it, the village was weak. So everybody had to step up and be there for each other. We've lost that village mentality because it is now me, myself, and I, and I don't give a damn about anyone else. And that, I think, is where we're all breaking down. I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. I think when I when I started these stories, I mean there were three of them in this. It's a trilogy. Mm-hmm. I didn't start out writing a trilogy. I just wanted to tell a story, but it became a trilogy. And and it 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 does talk about the ancient past, and it talks about this ancient legend that most first peoples or Native American peoples have which is that they've always been here mm-hmm. they didn't come over on the land bridge mm-hmm. in fact if you say to some first peoples you know you came over on the land bridge i.e by coming over here twelve thousand years ago you're effectively the most recent people they take that as an insult mm-hmm. and I, I think rightfully so yes so all of all of uh archaeological and human origin studies 
really seem to indicate that modern humans arose in Africa and then spread over the world. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence of humans or pre-humans in the Americas before about 20,000 years ago, and even that's disputed. Yeah. The oldest really documented evidence of humans in North America isn't very far from here. Uh, and that's Squim, Washington, where they found a spear point in a mastodon bone shoulder blade that was dated at 13,800 years ago. That's wow. one of the oldest ever found in this continent. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean to say that humans couldn't have reached here mm -hmm. a million years ago. There's right. just no evidence of it. Right. So part of the whole point, I was taking this idea of this ancient legend and asking the question, could it be true? And if so, how could it be true? And how would you weave that into a story? And that's really what I was trying to do was to entertain. But, but along the way, I, I came to this notion that while we think we know everything and it becomes heresy to question the current dogma, yes. the truth is science only proceeds by blowing up theories, mm -hmm. right? You get a theory, the earth is flat, then you finally change it over five centuries. Well, so part of this whole effort was an, an effort to get people to see that, that we don't know as much as we think we know, and right. things could change tremendously. And, and, and then, of course, underlying all of that, back to your point about stories, was, in my view, the thing that made we humans modern, i.e. Um, religion and burial and all that stuff, there's evidence that the human being as, a, as an organism was just as strong and just as big-brained long before we behaved modernly, mm -hmm. whatever that means. And so what happened that made us change in our behavior? It wasn't a physical change. And, and my thesis is that it was the ability to tell stories that, that I think that two or three versions of earlier subspecies of human like Neanderthal or Denisovian, they bred together because people liked to breed <laughs> and, and they bred so much together choice and, around either. <laughs> and, 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 and I think some of those offspring were different mm -hmm. and they were able to tell stories and a story is a way to teach people to hold culture, to carry memory. And so you can go from generation to generation and only otherwise you have to learn everything again and again and again. Right, Exactly. So I, I tried to, do a story about how stories made us human. And I tried to write it in a way that would be just like people sitting around a campfire mm -hmm. telling stories. So they like stories layered in stories. And I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, storytelling has been around since the beginning of time. And, right. you know, and it, you know, kind of then transferred to the walls of a cave, you know, or, um, right. and all sorts of other script that eventually kind of came to be. But it's always open to interpretation. And we're inclined to look at old stories from our modern perspective, instead mm -hmm. of trying to get into the mind of really what the story was telling you of how things were then. And I think if we could really see things of how they were then, not only would we step into a lot of gratitude for maybe what we have now, but also understand the evolution that we have taken, but also in some ways, how we haven't evolved at all. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And there's two different, you can make two arguments about the speed of evolution. One argument is, of course, it takes tens of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So that 
you know, a million years ago, our brain was 500 cubic centimeters and now it's 1200 cubic centimeters. But there's another bit of evidence that it can actually happen very, very fast. For instance, through diet, people have gotten bigger and, and stronger. Yes. You can, take, you can take two different species of a dog and in seven generations, a new subspecies breeds true. That's only seven generations. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a little of this, a little of that. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, it, but if you agree that it's the long-term evolution is the thing, most of the time that we were evolving, and you know, people back 40,000 years ago, stronger skeletons and bigger brains than we do today. And I think that's because they had to know everything in their head. They couldn't export any of that memory. Exactly. Like they did with cave paintings and then with writings and now with the cloud. Yes. Right? <laughs> so, so, so the, 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 um, all during that period, there were lots of stresses. There were huge changes. Uh, it was probably at times quite easy for living, but other times it must've been very hard. Oh yeah. And, and most of our, systems are evolved to deal with that kind of environment. And I don't know how that fits in with the, the Amazon Google culture. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) I mean, I felt that when we looked to the past, there was more honor, you know, there was more respect, especially for the elders because the elders held the stories. The elders had gained the wisdom and people gathered around the elders to learn that wisdom right. so that they could use it and pass it on and today we look at quote elders and for as far as the young society is together you know press delete because they do not see the worth in us anymore but as, as i point out to all the younger ones uh, your tv your computer your cell phone your cloud your amazon who did it come from but from people who are older than you through innovation that's been passed down and allowed to grow, it didn't just suddenly manifest. Right. So I think I would love to see more, you know, more looking to the elders in respect of how they've paved the way and the knowledge that they have. And in some cultures, that's still very much so. But in seeing the Western culture, you don't see it very much. I agree. I think it's it's. Yeah, it's changed. And I think some people could argue that the system of commerce that we've developed drives elders away from extended families and so on. But, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma. I actually think when I, when I try to argue for the need for, to me, humility is equal to wisdom. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you can, if you're, if you could be humbly, then you're wise, because then you know what you don't know. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. One of the other, say, when I first started, <laughs> I had a big ambition when I started this series, or I wanted to write about the seven deadly sins, and I wanted to write a, like a novella on, I have one story, but have each of the seven chapters be linked around one of the sins. And I, I realized as I started working on it, it's way too big for, for me to do. But along the way, I, I came to thinking there's actually another deadly sin that, that isn't in the list and should be. And that to me is zealotry, the mm. uh, certainty that you are right. Yeah. That's the most, I think that's the most dangerous 
behavior of the law. The arrogance, and, yes. Yeah, and I wanted to, I wanted to write a story that gently poked at that, you know, certitude from 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 zealotry because I think you go down that when certain when you have certainty, you may be right, but you may be a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, a zealous attitude, you know. Uh, it, I think also what we're seeing a great deal more today is ego. Um, and, you know, yeah. we I do an awful lot of shows on trusting your gut, your intuition, right. you know, channeling the, the knowledge and, you know, having it go through the heart and compassion and understanding and the mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. But we've been so conditioned with um, academics to think, think, think all the time. And it's become that the more you know, the more letters behind your name the more important you are, which just makes that ego grow. And that is, it just means you're holding a great deal of data in your head, right? But where is the wisdom to know how to use that data, how to use that knowledge? And that comes from a more humble and gut and and spiritual place. And a lot of people are still riding on the head knowledge and not incorporating all the other intellects within us. I think that's, I think a lot, there's a lot of truth to that. Of course, I would say that it's, it's all very complicated. I mean, this is, it's a complicated world we live in. And so it's so easy to try to label things and make generalizations about whole groups of people. And they may be right, but they may not be, may not be right. And so it's hard to, I mean, as I go around in the communities I deal with, I mean, I see lots of places where older people are revered and people mm-hmm. are humble and people are careful and they're doing the best they can. I think one of the problems here is that we may have a skewed vision because of what, as we're all watching now, sort of a national media landscape and they're going for clicks and viewers. So they want to outrage people. Right. So we're yes. hearing mostly from the fringes, I think, because they're getting all the airtime. And there's, I think there's a huge mass of people who are just beleaguered and tired and just kind of want to get on with their life. Right, exactly. No enough is enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there'll be a... I don't know what's what's going to happen. But I do know, one thing I do know, and this is from my feeble efforts at promoting my stories, mm-hmm. is if you try to... If you go onto the web and you start doing anything with promotion or learning about promotion, everybody's trying to sell to everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's actually to the point where it's infuriating. In fact, if, yes, if, you, saturation. Turn up face, if yeah. you turn up, face, I did this one day, I looked at my Facebook account and over half of the items on my newsfeed were either sponsored or suggested. Mm-hmm. So that means that half the time that I'm scrolling down there, I'm being pitched by somebody for something. And if everybody's pitching, pretty soon you stop believing anything. You know, you just get suspicious. They're not conversing. They're not interacting, right? It's just become a huge sales pitch. And, you know, as far as the media, you know, I'm always saying that they take a pimple and make it into a volcanic eruption. Exactly. Because hysteria and and fear is a form of control. And you can get them to buy, you know, that thing that's going to protect you against this, you know. And it's, it's all a sales pitch really so we as consumers have got to decide what we're going to buy yeah (laughs) that's true that's true 
I mean, it's easy to get caught up in it, but yes, it, certainly Facebook has become that way. And it used to be a lovely platform where you could interact with people. And now, as you said, 90% of the stream is, you know, if you just happen to click on one thing of interest, next thing you know, the, the algorithm has got 1,000 things coming at you that kind of ring in, uh, you know, to, or even anything around that. And it's, it is frustrating and annoying. Um, I was also thinking actually that we're oversaturated with too much going on. We're not still enough to have those conversations. Right, now, right. You know, like in the olden times, of course, you, you wrote in, in one of your articles there that, you know, people worked hard, but they still had time for play and for around the campfire and for family. And this is where everybody immersed into the conversations, the storytelling and right. sharing. Where do we make time for that now? We don't. I mean, it's it's very hard. Part of the attraction to me of of going off into the woods, although I like doing that, is you you can't you still can't get a good cell phone signal back in the Olympic National Park, which is good. So you don't you're you're stuck with yourself in the woods and whatever you see and hear. And there's a certain wonderful gift and grace to that. Yes. Um, it's being increasingly intruded on. I mean, they're getting better at sending signals places so that it's getting harder and harder to really go out of sight or drop off the grid yeah. truly. No, but there's a lot of people who like to like to do that and are intrigued with that. Um, and it's easier for, here's another thing. It's easy. When I wrote these stories, I was very careful because I've had this experience in other stories I've written because technology is changing so fast, if you write a story set in the present day, you're going to be technologically dated within 10 years, no matter what you write about. I would say less. Unless, unless, you, unless you have a vehicle that's a little bit more timeless, which hopefully mm. being at sea in a boat or being up in the wilderness is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, maybe your whole premise becomes invalid because they've come up with an invention that takes right. away that problem. So yeah. It's difficult to write a timeless story about how we are as people in a rapidly changing technological world. It's hard to do that. You can watch a TV show, you can watch a movie, and you don't need to know what area it is because you can tell by the hairstyles and the computers and the <laughs> phones, right? Yeah. You know which era it is. <laughs> um, and so you immediately are stuck into that because they've got the, the big brick cell phone, you know, <laughs> of the computers right, right, right. and the small right. little screen. Um, and it can be distracting, you know, because you now you're stuck in that time and you're not really paying attention to the story. Um, Storytelling is an art, most certainly, and you know your book Adrift, you know, in part of your series there. It it is an art, but what I fear is that people aren't taking time to read the art. You know, it's now you've got two seconds to attract somebody's attention, and you know I've had people say to me with my shows, "Oh no, you should make them only five minutes," and I say, "I'm not for the five minute audience." for the people that really want to peel the onion and and look back and look deeper and you know, come out with 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 questions and answers you know the conversation still carries on with the people around them why have we become such an instant satisfaction uh which doesn't satisfy anyone right so what we can right, learn right, from the stories right, of the right. past take your time be immersed truly listen 
learn, respond to what you have heard from your heart, not just to respond. There's so much we can learn from the past of just slow down and take your time. But we seem to be on this fast track all the time that I've got to be over there and I've only got this and da, da, da. And it's like, you're missing out on life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And, and uh, what, I've, what I try to do in, in uh, the goal as a writer, as a storyteller, the, the highest goal for me is if you can write something that the person who picks up the story to read it disappears into, gets lost in it, can't put it down, doesn't want to. And if at the end of the story, they, they're still asking questions about, you know, could that be true? Could that have been true? I'm sorry it ended. That's the highest goal you can ask for. And I think even in the short attention span, people, just like people like to go to movie theaters and sit there for two hours being entertained. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, even the ones who like five minute increments will love to curl up with a book and get lost in that story. I mean, I, I know for me, the feeling, uh, I mean, there's two feelings. One is a feeling you start reading a book and you think it'll be a good book and then you lose interest. You know, you yeah. don't characters. that's a disappointment. But the other side of that is you fall into a book that you just know you're happy. You're just there. And you're, it transports you're you. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it's happened to me all my life with different mm. books. And the, the time it happened to me in a series mm. was when I, when I was a freshman in college a million years ago. And I found the book The Hobbit. And then I found the trilogy. Yes. yes. And I, I disappeared in my room mm. for a week to read that trilogy. I read it three or four times since. It's a great series. Yes. But you, you can't assume people don't have any attention span. You've got to give them something worthy enough Right. Their attention, you know, and if they, if they, in my series, which has a little magic realism in it, there's a certain proportion of readers who just can't go there. You know, right. they just can't suspend disbelief. And yet there's another proportion of readers who love that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, at least in my experience, the, the, uh, the most people who, who get into the stories I write, I think they like them, most of them. Uh, women really like them because the, the women in my stories are ornery, tough heroes, right? there. <laughs> and part of that was intentional. Part of it was, if you write a story about a wilderness adventure survival and a grand quest, and you got a troubled kid, it's usually a troubled boy if it's out in the woods, because that's mm -hmm. the sexist way we think of things. So I decided, let's, let's get an ornery, difficult girl and have her be the hero. Yeah. You know, and have all the women be, and part of it, part of the whole purpose is you can turn everything upside down and it's still realistic if it's presented well, yeah. right? And that's our, the advantage of our imagination. We can picture things. I love reading a book that, uh, that I can identify with one of the characters. Right. And I'm, I become the character. I'm seeing what's happening through, right. you know, their eyes. And I'm one of these people when I pick up a book, it's leave me alone. I'm not a chapter a night. It's leave me alone. And I'm lost <laughs> in the book, you know. Right. Um, and I love having that feeling afterwards, even for years afterwards, how the book stays with me. And my right. brother is an author, so I'm always reading his books. And he's one of these people that 
he always has an animal in it (laughs) and the trouble he's had getting the animal out of trouble sometimes (laughs) and he goes why do I do it and he writes a lot of youth genre as well with a lot of kids and adventures there's always a conspiracy there's always a murder there's always a love interest but he takes you down a a journey that you really find yourself in flow of and you know a good book will keep you engaged because of the flow and you know it it's so satisfying because I said you your imagination is going to perceive it in this way and it could be very different to what the author way has done it because it's coming from your imagination but it just opens your mind up so much more and opens your mind up to what is possible in life too that's right that's right yeah the 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 effort to the when when you write something the reader will fill in the the blanks yeah i i have a pretty spare writing style in that I, I try to give hints for what is there, but then let the have the conscience yeah. the reader will fill in right. the blanks the way they want to. Right? Yeah. So instead of I try not to over describe something, I try to describe I actually I actually the way I write is I, I, I write what I see in my mind. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like writing a movie. But but uh, if I'm writing about the sea and being at sea, which I've done a lot of. Right, yes, I wonder what's I try that. to do it as a in a way that is realistic, but also let someone who's not been at sea yeah. picture it in a way that they feel is real, whether it's real or not. Right. Because if they feel it's real, they'll be there, right? And they'll 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 like it. Yeah. And that's the that's the whole point. I mean, again, the whole point is I mean we've as I've been talking, we've been talking about all these grand threads like humility and the value of tradition and so on. But the truth is that a story has to be a story first. It has to engage people. And if you start making it about the points you're going to make, it reads like a Sierra Club pamphlet. No one's going to read it. No, no. Yes. (laughs) You're going to be clever. (laughs) It's always coming from something you know, right? Right. You know, um, another author I had, she was, um, gosh what do you call it uh the artist in the in the courtroom oh of course okay yeah and so she eventually went into writing and the person who was the artist in the courtroom kind of became unwittingly the detective right so she took what she knew and kind of cases that she had heard and everything else and then weaved it right so it was something that was very familiar to her so she could really address you know, what really is fact and then weave in kind of the fantasy. And I think a good story always has a good baseline of actual fact. Right. It has to, and it has to, at least for me, I mean, I try to write about what I've either seen Mm -hmm. or done a lot of research on to, Mm -hmm. to to understand or talked to people. Like for instance, there's a, a section in my book adrift where the, the burning ship, which has been abandoned is just drifting out there and a salvage company is trying to go out and grab the ship and the ship's dead in the water. It has no power. It's been drifting for days and the tug comes up. I'm writing the story and I realized, well, I've spent time on fishing boats and on big Mm -hmm. ships. I've never worked on a tug. So I don't know how you hook up a ship if there's no way to pass a line from the ship to the tug. Right. But I had all these LinkedIn contacts in the Marine industry who were tugboat guys. And so I sent a broad, query out saying, look, here's the situation. And I got this flood of answers from yeah. guys explaining exactly how to do it. So that's how it happened in the yes. book. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, when you watch a movie and if something is actually bizarre, but there's a sense of reality to it, you buy the bizarre. And then right. there's the other times it's like, no, 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 I, I can't buy that. There's no, there's not a Fred in it. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, how did you get from there to there? You didn't show me that. And, you know, and it's, it's unreal. So we like to have a fundamental truth, Fred, going through something. You can take us up to the stars, you know, or deep down into the ocean waters, but we do want to know there's a thread of truth in there, um, even in fantasy, because it's what grounds us and what makes something feel possible. And, you know, it could possibly be. I love reading a fantasy book and afterwards going, this could happen. Right. Well, this is happening in some different level. You know, I love that. Well, in the, I mean, it's not giving away anything, but in the, in the first book, Strongheart, Sarah, the girl <clears throat> who hates being out in the woods. Good name, by the way. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, sees, uh, she sees this bear and draws it very accurately, but it's not a bear that looks like any bear we've ever seen. And, and uh, two days later, because they don't believe her, she gets really pissed off and walks, walks away and disappears. And when she comes back, she tells this impossible, sto impossible story. And I've written the book such that it's always ambiguous mm -hmm. about whether it was this just a dream she had yeah. or some genetic memory mm -hmm. or was she really somewhere else time traveling or universe yeah. traveling it's never clear in any of my three books i think <laughs> so each some readers there's a small proportion who just don't even want to think about it right. but there's some readers who think <laughs> it was a dream right yeah. and other readers who think nah she she came up with some archival memory right. and then there's another group of people who says, no no she went to a portal into another. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, i love it <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's real or not, what no. matters is that the story that happens in that period is relevant to the events of today and the reader's there with you. That's right. what matters. Right? Yeah. You want something <laughs> actually to feel real to you. You know, it doesn't, yeah. matter, it doesn't matter which world they've taken you into. Why do we love? I mean, look at Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and everything, you know, and, and the world of all those wonderful different creatures. I mean, I often refer to um, the elves of the saying at the end there, you know, it's the elves, it's their time is over. It's now time for man, right? right. You know, there's, there's so many beautiful, poignant lessons in it, you know, that another one I absolutely love is um, Philip Pullman's Golden Compass trilogy, Northern I Lights. Read, I oh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I think you will love it. It's one of those books that's so stayed with me. Um, okay. And they've actually got a very good series on right now, which is Dark Materials, which they're, they're doing, which I highly recommend. Um, but I love, I love things taking me out of realm. Uh, but there's always a sense of that there is complete and utter truth in it, right? So that, well, that it doesn't matter that, where you go. That's particularly important if, you, if you're writing about something that the reader has really no experience in. Mm -hmm. Like if, you, if you're writing about being at sea, most people have never been at sea, really. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out a way to, so that they can think that what's being presented to them is probably the way it is. Right. Relatable. Relatable. Mm -hmm. And that means they have to know enough. And I had a challenge with my book, Adrift, about 
terminology because that's always a delicate thing. And I eventually decided, you know what, I'm just going to tell the story and I'm going to use the terms that people use. And if people want to look them up, let them look them up. And actually some people did look them up, but other people said, you know, I didn't understand the terminology, but it didn't matter. I was with the story. story." And so it's always a, I mean, it's easy to talk about it after you've finished the story, but Mm -hmm. while you're in the process of doing the story, it's, it's a matter of faith. I, what I did do, especially for my writings about these dreams or whatever back in the ancient past, is I did a couple of years of research about the Ice Ages and about mm-hmm. human development and, and maritime travel, all this ancient stuff. And so I had a basis in evidence, right, that I could work from. Yeah. I, I don't know whether it's accurate or not, but I figure, well, it's believable enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, unless you, you know, time travel or go back and actually see it for yourself. You're going yeah. on the basic evidence that's there, which again, I mean, look at how many things now due to technology, we look back on and go, okay, that actually, that perception of that truth is no longer real, you know, because here are the facts. Um, because right. we unravel things with our technology. We can see how old things are, you know, the origins and everything else, and it changes. Um, the pyramids, for instance, there's a wonderful pyramid in Bosnia that's huge. And in discovering what that pyramid is, it wasn't to do with the Fara's, you know, burial ground. It was built here. There were about a thousand pyramids around the world and they were meant to be energy sources to actually energize the planet. And when they discovered this, a wonderful gentleman, Sam, uh, discovered this, has done books on it and a lot on it, and immediately the science society that have believed in one thing completely kiboshed it because it was against what they had learned well why can't we adapt the knowledge as we go you know here's the evidence um but they refuse to see the evidence you know because that's where i think the ego comes in they don't want to admit you know i've been wrong all this time and it's okay it's okay to be wrong there's nothing wrong with being wrong because you're basing it on the information you know at the time when you know more you change your opinion. Well, I think it gets, it's a little more complicated in that, and it has been for at least 100 years, in that if you make a, a, a discovery that changes the paradigm, for example, the people who came up with the thesis in the early years of the 20th century that because there are all these similar type points found in Clovis, New Mexico, that were found all over the Americas at the same time, they came up with this theory that people arrived in the Americas 12,000 years ago and rapidly covered the whole continent and they left right. these points. Like rabbits. <laughs> but that's not true. Right. But for 80 years, people believed it. And of course, what you have then are the community of people who have done research on that theory receive funding for research for that theory and have made their names on that theory. They are going to fight to the death. Yes. Yes. Their position. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's just the way human nature is. I know. So all and, uh, the noble talk about science, it's baloney. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if you thought the earth was flat, you're going to burn people who don't think it's flat. Right. And so it's, it's always really, I think, takes time and a lot of blood mm. to change people's, I mean, what's they call it, the Overton window, the, the point at which people suddenly shift from not wanting something to accepting something. I mean, in this country, as recently as 1980, 
1984, maybe even 1990, most people were against anything to do with gay marriage. Right. And suddenly it shifted and it was okay. Yep. Yes. And that's a hard thing to define, but it takes time, but it happens. But when that happens, all the people who were on the previous paradigm, mm. they're out in the cold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in your research and looking back into the past, is there a common thread at all that things that were done then are still things that are done now that, you know, that we just, as nature, we cannot change altogether. Well, this isn't going to be very encouraging, I think, but <laughs> I actually think that we're the, the, the nature of human beings is we're, we're, uh, how do I put this? We're pretty nasty to each other. Oh God! And we've always, to each other. always been nasty to each yeah. other. And it's a fantasy to think that people lived with milk and honey and freedom eighty thousand years ago. In the, as far as we know, okay. When a group invaded another group's territory, and this is documented in the Americas, and I'm sure it was the case everywhere else a group or tribe or whatever you call it. They, they invade another territory because they want right. the resources. So what they, here's what they do. And this is, this was all over the world that they do this. They capture the women because they wanted mothers. Mm -hmm. They capture the kids because they'd raise the kids as members of their group because life was precious. Right. And they, and they killed all the men to yeah. a person. And the reason they did that was so those guys wouldn't come back and get them. Right. Okay, so we can talk as much as we want about how different it was back 80,000 years ago, but there's also a lot of evidence of, anyway, the point being that, that I think the thing that has not changed is human nature. And human nature is hierarchical and, and acquisitive, and jealous and lustful and, and, and greedy, but also imaginative and creative and heroic, and and uh, our whole effort. It seems it's this is the whole effort, all this period of time. Whether I don't know what it was like before religion came around, but the whole effort of religion, and everything else, is finding ways to agree on how we can control all these right. urges, so we don't get into a trouble. Right. And, and 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 so. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a person who believes that there, there were the good old days when people lived in some kind of nirvana, mm -hmm. right? I think it was very tough to live back then, a lot of, a lot of death. I mean, remember, yeah. until, I mean, when I was a kid, my parents, I'm 74, right? So my parents were born in 1912 and 1914. When they were born, you know, there was polio. Yes. There were all these diseases killing people. We didn't have penicillin. Right. Childbirth. The started to fly. Childbirth was a disaster. People had big families because half the kids died. Yes. And then we launched into a century of warfare that murdered millions of people. Yeah. And we have the arrogance to think that we've somehow transgressed past all that stuff. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so the, the, I guess, no one's asked me that question. You just asked me, but I think, I, I mean, I'm tempted to think that, that I think probably what it was like back then was mm -hmm. that life was reasonably cheap. People were very protective of it. 
the big animals killed killed a lot of people off. Yeah. It was it was a struggle. There were probably periods, maybe even hundreds of years, when people lived quite well, formed little empires, and they'd be wiped out. Yeah, I think I think that was the case. And 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 uh, so there's always predators, whether the human or animal. There's always the predators. And we and, were and not we, we were we, not the apex predator until very recently. Now we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so yeah, so I think it's again it. If, if I go back to, as a writer, you, you know, you want to tell stories and you want people to enjoy the stories right. and you want to entertain people. There but want you to want be a little to bit wanna, of hope in there. <laughs> but, but you also want to poke them a little bit. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. So if someone puts one of my books down and says, you know, that, that was a fun story. Could some of that be true? Is he, mm -hmm. is he making any, you know? Because mm -hmm. one, one of the other threads in my I guess you could say in this fiction that probably would come out is I don't have a lot of p patience for zealots on either side, you know, mm -hmm. so that, you know, the, 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 I tend to be in that sense, conservative and always, you know, there's nobody is totally good and nobody is totally bad. And I make a point in my stories, even there's this evil mining corporation, but it's, it's not completely evil. Right. It's trying to do some of the right stuff. It's not totally evil. Right. And partly as a writer, you have to do that because what reader is going to be interested in something yes. that's totally bad? Yeah. You, you want to have you want to have every character that has meaning have some kind of interest to the reader or else the reader is not. You can't. Another way to say this is you can't use a character just to move the story along. Right. The character has to have their own story. Each yes. character has to have their own arc of challenge and recovery and defeat or victory and then you then you're interested in what the characters are doing right you're not going to be interested if they're just there to move the story right and you know if, if, if it's all doom and gloom we can just watch fox news what is our fascination what is our fascination with doom and gloom i i i don't know i think well, we're, maybe we're a little bit easily bored. We're intrigued by the horrible, maybe because in the old days that helped protect us by being hypersensitive to what mm -hmm. could go wrong. Um, maybe there's a part in each of us that likes to see the suffering of others because that means we're not suffering. Right. I'm sorry, but you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I also think that and this is back to your question, what's changed, right? The human nature has not changed. And no. I think there's a, there is this tribal element in us where, you know, we put ourselves above the other. And once the other is no longer human, we'll do anything to that other. I mean, it's horrible. Yes. And, and uh, now what we're doing is we're, it looks like we seem to be more and more siloing into these, silos where people look at other people not as fellow citizens who have differences but as non-humans are the enemy well that's doesn't promise very well no <laughs> no the thing is you know a lot of what we're seeing is always inciting the hate instead right. of instead of inviting the compassion i right. you know why is a person confused you know ignorant 
oh, arrogant over their ignorance? Why is it that they're unwilling to learn? And what can we do that can make it more available for them to want to learn or want to expand their knowledge? Um, I mean, we've all got free will and, uh, you know, it's up to each and every one of us to step up and, you know, what, whatever bed we've made, we've made it. You know, if you don't like lying in it, then change your bed, right? So we're not very good with change, I've noticed. And if you, you know, you had the adventurers that would leave the village and go and explore. And we love exploring, certain amount of us love the exploratory nature of what is out there, the wondrous world. But there are others that just are so fearful of change and find kind of lock themselves up in it and undoomed to repeating the same old pattern because they're not willing to change. So I think humans are still, we've got so much potential and we're absolutely incredibly creative and wonderful creatures when we choose to be. But, uh, you know, having the media the way it is and the shoot stirrers, you know, it, it just, it breeds a constant discontent. And then some people don't know what to do with the discontent, so they just get angry about it. Well, I think there's another element too that, that nobody wants to talk about. And that is, at least in this country, I don't know what, whether this is the case in Canada, I suspect not so much, but you know, the people who are getting all the airtime and raising all the fights and doing all the stuff are the ones who are either on the far right or the far left, generally speaking, you know, they're having a big battle, mm -hmm. but what's not really being talked about very much. So some try is, you know, the vast mass of people in this country who are barely making it yes. ends meet. Yes. They're, they're too, they're too tired to get into these high fluting arguments and right. that. They just want to find how secure is my paycheck? Is my kid going to be okay? Am I going to have a job tomorrow? Can I afford and the I medicine? A, and yeah. I think a lot of the rage that's coming um, is partly people feeling that they're being let down by mm. the institutions that are supposedly there to help yeah. them, even though they also claim to hate the government. So, right. But it's complicated. I mean, I live in a neighborhood here in Tacoma that's a um, very mixed, very diverse, I mean, all in houses, of course, but um, it's in the, in the city. It's very diverse, mostly tradespeople, working people of different kind, a couple of retired people like me, but, but uh, you know, and it's, and as far as I can tell, the, all the people on this street, I met most of them, they're real decent people. They're trying to make a living. They're doing the best they can for their family. And that's what they're about. That's what most people are about. Yeah. And yeah. there's, but it's, that's just not exciting or dramatic or, mm -hmm. or, or um, going to get clicks. Mm. You know, I actually find myself, I think what is happening, which is interesting, at least down in this country is that people are so furious with the media, whether it's the left or the right, that there's a few like YouTube channels now that are, that are out, out, have more population watching them than watching like Fox yep. news or NBC, because right. these people, there's one group called breaking point. It's, too, it's a conservative and a liberal, they're young kids really, but mm -hmm. one's pretty liberal. One's pretty conservative. But what they do is they, they're unflinchingly honest about hypocrisy wherever it comes. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's so refreshing. Yes. To hear them just talk about this. And I think that's where there's a hunger, there's kind of a hunger for this mm. stuff. And again, I, I mean, 
when I started the series, I had no thought of this, but in fact, I think some of the the messages and what I wrote that came out, which wasn't intended, support this idea that we need to be maybe a little less dramatic about everything right. and just try to, you know, find out what the real problems are and do something about it. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got the left and the right constantly bickering at each other. It's like parents fighting and right. the children are just like, well, where am I at? You know, am I going to get a meal tonight? You know, am I going to have a safe bed? You know, is this going to erupt into a war? And, you know, it leaves everybody else feeling insecure. And what we then have is, is a population that's growing up feeling insecure. And then as they get older, they're having to deal with this constant insecurity that lies within them that creates all sorts of other problems. So well, it used to be, at least when I was a kid and going to college in the 60s, the, the effort was underway to make college affordable for anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and they were succeeding in that. And it was trying to get more and more people to go to college. And the expectation was, you know, you wanted to get to college, you had to go to college, you had to get a college degree. And it was not that many people, if any, who left college with a big debt on their head. You know, the college right. was cheap, whatever. Now, mm. 50 years later, and my son talking about his kids who were six and three, you know, it's a totally different paradigm. Should we even put money away for college? And that's right. a fair question. Yes. And so, I mean, like you say, the change happens. We, we aren't aware of change day to day, but it's yeah. enormous over decades and you're not yes. even aware of it. <laughs> no, I, I did a show recently of somebody that actually helps um, the kids get into top schools. And right. they said, it doesn't matter if you have the money. It doesn't matter even if it's an A student they have all these other components. What he does, he takes them from uh, grade seven and he starts nurturing them ready because when you're going into college, um, there's so many aspects that they look at. So it's the top 5% that they will take and they forget about everybody else. So, you know, the, the, for so many people, the college will never happen for them because they're, they're only taking in so many and they've been groomed for it already. Uh, so, so many more people now are going um, into learning in different ways or, you know, becoming the entrepreneurs or going back to trade learning, which right. seemed to disappear right. for a long time and now seems to be coming back in a big way. And it has to because, it, you know, universities just become something out of reach. <laughs> and, uh, hence the scandal of buying their kids' position, right? So, well, I think, uh, yeah, and I, yes. And I think, too, that the whole fact that there's this there's this whole kind of farm league micromanaged helicopter parent structure to get their kid into an ivy league school yeah and remember for every one of those kids who gets into that ivy league school there's got to be five or ten who don't right yes oh yes they're disappointed and they're unhappy and yet but remember, too, these are all people who have the resources to do this. And you've got to have a lot of resources to do this. I'm yes. telling you. And that's the old income disparity and yeah, so on. So, exactly. Uh, and then you see people, you know, of, of a lower income, you know, a single parent household. And they, they're innovators. And they create something and then look where they go, you know, reach the absolute top. Um, and so it really, a, a lot of it is, I think, if we could keep... If we could keep our wonder, 
going, yeah, the yeah, inquisitiveness yeah. going, in believing that anything is possible if we're willing to try. And just because that didn't work this way doesn't mean it won't work that way. You know, and it's we lose hope too quickly. And well, that's, that's another whole you talk about what you're really saying there, I think, is, you know, the value of persistence, the mm-hmm. value of, of the, the need for failure and just keep going anyway to be resilient, you know. Right. And in fact... It's not failure if you're you, learning. Right. And in fact, whether you get there or not isn't important. It's the right. process you go through. And, yeah, I don't know. Remember, too, though, that it's a very, again, in the previously except for a very small wealthy group most people were farmers mm-hmm. they were working hard they worked 16 hour days they had very few you know it was it was a different kind of life yes. now people wake up they can grow up thinking they can do anything which they can't and then they're going to be disappointed yeah you know so i I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. That's why I'm not a politician. Well, you know, it's interesting. In the last couple of weeks, I've had two young men on that went down the entrepreneurial road, failed, got up, did it again, and then turned to alcohol or turned to drugs and turned to that until eventually, when they reached rock bottom, they actually got up and went and did what they were meant to do. And it wasn't right. about the driving of the, you know, I've got to be top this, I've got to be top that. And it was just more about who am I, what have I got to contribute, and what am I happy doing, right? So um, that is something I think that eludes many people is just the simple happiness of life. Well, again, back to my point about humans in general, I'm not sure that happiness is seems to be an invention of the 20th century in some ways, that that. Nowadays, people are raised thinking that's the goal to be happy. It didn't used to be that. The goal used to be to feed yourself, or yes. to, you know, or to survive the next day. Survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I know the people I know who are happiest are the people who are satisfied with where they are and what they're doing, yeah. or, or satisfied in the struggle they're undertaking to change what they're doing. Doesn't it's not about a amount of amount of money or this or that. It's simply about I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do it the right way, and and I'm very happy because and I've I've been I've been very happy trying to do this series of books, even though it's on a daily basis. It's entirely humiliating and frustrating, but overall, it's fun. <laughs> well, I call it the gratitude attitude. You know, when you're grateful for what you've got, right? And and yeah. don't. We've all got lack of something. Well, don't focus on the lack. Focus on what you have, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that it's easier to have that kind of attitude when you're facing calamity and everybody is in the same sorry state. But yeah. when you have a situation where there's a clear group of really well-off people and then everybody else struggling. Yes, it's asking a lot for those people struggling to say, oh, yeah, everything's fine. I'll be there eventually. You know, that's right. asking a lot. So, yeah. I mean, I, I do worry a little bit that people talk about the pitchforks and yes. that could happen. I don't think it'll, I don't know. I think in, well, in a way I, it did, January 6th, you know. Oh, that, no, I think January 6th was, what I think is that January 6th was, I'm sorry to say this, but I think January 6th was, the beginning of what's happening, not the end. I think mm-hmm. that I, I think that because the people who people who felt 
robbed, who felt cheated, who felt dissed. You know, they're just as angry now and feel just as robbed now. And so, I mean, it's a little bit scary because yes. there's so many people. There's so many people now who, when people, it's one thing if people have a difference, but they agree with the fundamental structure of the community you're in, right? It's another thing when people suddenly want a very different community, right? Right, and I think there's a risk that some of that may be starting to happen, but the challenge is what happens next. You right. Know, I, I, I don't Well, know. I mean, again, look back to history, right? Look back to history because as you said, you know, a, a society could be very peaceful for a while and then along comes somebody else who wants that, right? And there is the challenge, you know, or somebody feels it's not enough, you know, uh, where there's always that swing again to the discontent and the violence because of it. Well, I think someone pointed out that almost every single civilization, every single civilization has failed mm -hmm. to date. And most of them fail in 250 years or 300 years or something like that. So that's part of human nature too. You build an empire, but it doesn't yeah. last. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> especially it doesn't last if it doesn't serve everyone when it exactly. leaves people behind, right? Because the people exactly. that are left behind are only going to take it for so long before they rise up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's what we've got going on right now. So you've written the trilogy, all, all three books I, are out? They're all out. The first one, Strongheart, came out in 2017. Adrift came out in 2018. And Totem is now out but it, it's being launched formally on the 29th of October, but people can actually order it today from bookstores and Amazon if they want. Um, it's, it's, there's a couple little corrections I'm making in it, but that, it's a few days away. So yeah, the trilogy, trilogy, it's finished. It's complete. I was very anxious that it would never get completed. You know, it's complete. So it's a body of work that if someone wants to dig into it, they aren't going to be disappointed that, oh, where's this next book? You know, right. I, it, th that's fine. But the books are also pretty much standalone books. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say reading the third one first would make sense, but right. you can certainly read the other two. Um, Out of order. In, in, in either order. Uh, yeah. How so many years did it take you to write? Well, that there's two answers to that question. But, I mean, it, it, I started noodling around with this idea in 1990. And I started really, and I started and in 2000, I started thinking about it hard. And then I started doing actual research in 2010. So it's been 11 years. There's but been the, true, true dedication to it. But well, but it's not, it's not, it's not like dedication. It's more like an addiction or sickness. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the other thing is that, that in writing, I have a different style of writing. I don't do outlines. I do a lot of research. And then uh, I, in each of these three books, I wrote the first draft in within four months. Mm -hmm. But then it took three years to get that first draft cut away and set up and organized so it worked. It takes a long time. You have to let it season and steam yeah. and the things and stuff. And so in right. this third one, Totem, took me five years to do. And it actually ended up being it's as long as two books. It's a, it's a much longer book. But uh, 
I'm happy with them. It's it's the best I can do, I guess right. I could say. And, right. and uh, I'm proud by them. Um, any more books in the works? Are you taking a break? Well, I've I've been an inconsistent writer because I've had to earn a living too, you know. So right. Yes, there is that like, thing, isn't there? I actually I actually started in January before I knew when the third book was going to come out because it got delayed by COVID for right exactly right? and um, I actually have in mind a another series set a hundred years in the future mm. science fiction and I'm going to take the character the main character in these three books is this girl Sarah who's 13 and 14 and in this next series, she's going to be an old woman of 108. And her great-great-grandchildren are going to learn something from her story, and they're going to have an adventure of their own. It's going to involve artifacts and exoplanets and interstellar travel. And Wonderful. Well, I love that you're marrying the two together. Instead of it just well, being the end of a story, you know, now it's, it's her story now being passed on that ignites well, wonderment and others. Yeah. I'm trying, but I also want to play around with some ideas about this. But again, as I tell you this, if I go ahead and do the whole series, the final thing will have no relation to what I just told you. But that's the, that's <laughs> well, the that's way it works. what happens when you write, right? Is that you have a preconceived idea and then the fingers get going and, and like the characters kind of form themselves and take you on a journey. You can that, read well, back and go, oh, okay. <laughs> that's true. The characters lead the, absolutely lead the story. I did a lot of research for this like last December, January, and then the third book appeared because of COVID. And, and then I was working on that. I've been working on that. But yeah, I, I want to get into it. I'm looking forward to well, I really do love that. the marrying of, you know, her at the other end of her life being an inspiration, you know, for, for the younger generation. I think that is a beautiful synergy. So keep that one in. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it to turn from that. And it also kind of plays into, you know, the, what we can learn from our elders. And that just because they're old and slower doesn't mean that they haven't got the wisdom or the knowledge that you need right now. Yeah, I just think it's the ability to listen and accept. I mean, I think, honestly, that the traditions in many first peoples that are Native American, and this may be true of other indigenous people too, but, you know, talking about seven generations in the future and what's mm -hmm. happening, that's so important. Yes. And, and that seems to be, I think, I honestly think the only thing that will bring that back is some big crisis that um, people have to deal with. Because we, are, we humans are notoriously bad at anticipating bad things and doing Pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was saying 30 years ago when Al Gore started talking about global warming, I thought to myself, you may be right, Al. I'm not sure he is right, by the way, but that's another long story. But you may be right, Al, but good luck in convincing people in ahead of time that they right. get a crisis on their hands. Exactly. You know, it's got to be at your door before anything happens. Well, and that is and human nature, late. isn't it? It's only when yeah. it slaps us in the face do we go, oh, okay, what was that? You know, you've got my attention. And then if it doesn't apply to me immediately, then we dismiss right. it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, the one yeah. thing that one thing that could happen that could really upend things is if if it turned out 
there was clear evidence of not only of interstellar life, but sentient beings. Get ready, that would that's going to really upset people. <laughs> Turn us upside down. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I think they're staying away going, oh God, can we wait a few more thousand years for these guys to evolve, but there won't be a planet left. <laughs> so I know sometimes we can look at humanity and just go, oh God, I just, you know, I can't take it anymore. And then other times we hear stories and see things that people are doing and go, and that's the kind of humanity that I really yep. want to feed and support. Yep. So, yep. but yet we are so slow to learn. Like, I mean, look at techno technically what we are able to achieve in a short period of time. It's miraculous, but why can't we evolve, you know, in, in our humanness, in our compassion and our caring for each other? Um, what gene is still inside of us that's still got to battle on? Well, I think, I, unfortunately, I'm afraid that if, if, you know, into the idea that evolution takes a long, long time. And the we're very, still learners. <laughs> yeah, the very thing that helped us survive and prosper during all those years of ice and big animals may not be helping us very much today because that very thing was, you know, protecting your own, mm -hmm. making sure your unit survived, mm -hmm. killing the other. I mean, that, that was, you know, so... Um, killing off all the big animals before they ate us. You know, yeah. so now we're so good at it, we're killing off everything. Yes. So I don't. We're very good killers. We are. Yeah, we We've got that down. <laughs> we, we are. Any which way we can, right? right? Yeah. 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 I think actually, you know, I would have it that both men and women um, give birth. And oh. I think, right? Because I think if, if it was um, both of us giving birth, it might be a little less eager to eliminate i actually think that the solution there is to give every male child a vasectomy uh, which because that could be reversed and when you want to have a kid you reverse your vasectomy mm -hmm. and that way birth control is not an issue mm -hmm. you know the problem of abortion is probably not an issue mm -hmm. men aren't going to go for it but <laughs> that's, <laughs> no. that's the answer <laughs> No, definitely not. You know, it's all up to the woman, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I mean, that's not likely to happen anywhere in the near future. But, you know, uh, I do wish that we as human beings would learn from the past, the good things, you know, be aware, like we're still repeating that pattern, right? And that pattern no longer serves us. You know, it's, it's, we've seen it over and over again. It does not serve us. But what does service? And if we can go back to that community, go back to supporting one another, instead of constantly competing, um, we, we just may stand a chance, but let's learn from the past so we can move more productively to the future. Well, <sighs> she says with a sigh. <laughs> <laughs> How do people get hold of your books and also your website? Because I do encourage people to go to your website because you've got lots of lovely stories in there. Okay, so the web the website is easy to find. It's my name Charlie Sheldon, I E C H A R L I E S H E L D O N, the number two, charliesheldon two dot com. Actually, if someone Google's my name Charlie Sheldon, that website comes right up. It's called Stories Made Us Human. Wonderful. That's the website. Um, 
And on that website, you can read about the books. You can order the books from bookstores or from Amazon. And as you say, there's a bunch of little, I started that website a few years ago and I use it. I was using it pretty much just to record stuff that I found interesting as a place to store it. Mm. But now I'm using it. I'm hoping people read it because I, I just think there's a subject I'm interested in. If people are not interested, fine, but some of them are, you know, and it's fun to write about. And yeah. And if people want to make comments, they can make comments and we can get in discussions. I think it's great. You know, it's just a way of, again, of, of I like the Pacific Northwest. I like the mm. theories of ancient humans and, and it, it's a fascinating subject for me. So, and I like good stories. Right. So hopefully I've written a few. Right. Um, I'm actually looking at your site right now and I don't see the book. So what would it be actually under? Can you scroll down on the site? Um, if I go to reviews, would it be in there? No. Uh, oh, it doesn't. No, uh, you've got reviews, humility, Olympic Peninsula, sea it stories. Came up on the title page didn't come up then. Nope. Nope. Oh. Nope. I'll fix that. Let me fix it. Okay. All right, great. I, yeah, because it says books up at the top there, but the books aren't showing up. Just to let you know, because we want the people oh, to go there and see that. Oh, that's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> so we want people to see that. Um, I highly recommend they read the stories. I've read a couple of yours, and you really do take people. I, I, I like it when you leave people with a thought. Hmm, that's interesting, you know, and want to know more or, or chew it over, you know. It's right. like a nice flavor left in your mouth. and. And a good storyteller will do that. You don't want it to be, what book did you read last week? I can't remember. You know, you want it to be, oh, I recommend this. So that, and that is a good storytelling. You've done your research. You bring out some different points of view and, and really it, it's, it's, you know, food for thought, which I like. Well, thank you. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm just checking here in my little handheld just to see if, if when I go into the site, I'm looking at it here too. So I'm just going to go to your .com and see what happens. And nope, still no books. So we'll get that corrected so people can go in and see that. Uh, oh, the bookstores you've got there. Oh yeah, yeah, the Three Tales, all right. Yes, it comes up now. Did you get it? Yep, Three Tales Adventure, Survival, yeah, yeah, that's of Age, the, that's Ancient the, Truth. That's the title page and, and should be anybody going into the site, that's what comes up. It says right. Three Tales. And then if you scroll down, it's each of the books with a little bit about the book. Right. You, you go, and you uh, and uh, do you have a cover for the the new one coming out so people can register for that? If you go down further, you'll see that. I mean, it should be, it should show three tales and it should show, it says, it shows Strongheart and then Adrift and then Totem. It should. Okay. All right. May have to fix that one too. <laughs> oh man all right all right thank you that's that's, that's right. you know this is technology right it's absolutely wonderful but it gets glitches and that's the thing is uh um we can always fix it that's always the thing so but also they can get all the books on amazon as well right they can they can they can they can also go to any independent bookstore and order the books through them wonderful. and i hope i'd hope people would do that because i like support the local bookstores definitely right yeah that would be great well thank you so much for sharing with us charlie and you know your dedication to your writing and uh, the storytelling and opening up the world and you know it, 
we can look at the world and go, oh my God, not again. And then we could also look at it and go, oh, how wonderful, look at how change has happened. So learn from the past so that we can have a better future, right? I agree. And uh, I will, as soon as we're off the phone, I will go to work on my website. <laughs> right, right. All right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to everyone else, remember, please, don't look at your elderly as, as a, a waste of space, a waste of air, or taking something away from you. Stop, listen, learn, because they have so much to share with you that can help you in your journey of life, and also have some respect. So until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.